There it is. Welcome to Sports, Clips, and Politics with your hosts, Ben Husso and me, Sean Hannon. Welcome to an eventful edition of Sports Clicks and Politics. This is episode 19. Sorry for the little delay getting the uh, uh, show on the road here. Mr. Hughesong, thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Happy it, wasn't, it wasn't your fault that we were late. It was mine. <laughs> I'm on a roll. How was your weekend? It was wonderful. How was yours? Uh, it was good. Um, played a little golf on Friday. That was fun up at the Bellevue. So uh, nice. enjoyed the weather. Um, Oh, actually, I saw you there, actually. I did. Yeah, yeah, I, was, I forgot. I, we, we just rolled with that. That was fine. <laughs> um, what about you? Do, other than golf, do anything else uh, exciting on the weekend? Uh, a little family time. Did a barbecue with some friends over at their house. Uh, Sunday was sort of a clean-up day and relax and get everything back to normal and ready for the week. Did you break any executive orders over the weekend? Oh, my God, like every one of them. I love it. Pretty much. I, such a rebel. I know. It's just, obviously, when you look at me, the first thing you think is just badass. I'm basically Han Solo for New York State. That's all it is. Well, there you have it, folks. <laughs> we have our superhero. Uh, did you get to watch any of the uh, Lakers uh, NBA Finals game last night? Yeah, I mean, admittedly, my interest has not exactly peaked. It's With all the injuries on the heat, it was not, I'm going to call it not must-watch basketball. It yeah, was it was, I mean, I would say anticlimactic is probably the right, but uh, probably, I don't know, a foregone conclusion. Uh, I don't know, it seemed it was Lakers to lose. Uh, the fact that the Heat got a couple games is probably impressive just on Jimmy Buckets himself. Uh, right. Probably willed them to a couple wins. Um, it would have been nice to have the full uh, ensemble of Heat players at full health to uh, kind of test the, the two best player team and uh, give them a little run, and I would have yep. loved to have seen uh, a, a Game 7 there. But congrats to the Lakers. Uh I believe this is uh, their 17th title, something like that. Um, LeBron's fourth, I think. Three different teams. Uh, have you moved LeBron ahead of Jordan in your all-time rankings yet? I don't know. I, I think it depends on how you want to measure it. Better overall basketball player, uh, yes. I mean, he, he brings more to the table than Michael Jordan did. And I think that one of the major reasons people don't want to acknowledge that is because LeBron James is just so unlikable. He is. I, I don't have a good explanation for you, but everything he says to like the casual fan, you're just like, oh, God. He was like asking for respect after the game. It was like the you know Lake our organization needs respect. I'm like you guys are the best organization in the league. Right, like everybody already acknowledges that. Like you're the Yankees <laughs> like, of basketball. Right. Shut up about respect. Um, Get over yourself. So I don't know. Um, I, I I I'm right there with you. I feel like his personality definitely that will not allow him ever to be embraced by a certain a large certain faction of of NBA fans. Um, I don't even think it's that conscious of a level. I think it's a subconscious thing because we all know the NBA is very different now than it was when Michael Jordan was playing. It was a much rougher. I mean, for the love of God, sure. Bill Lambeer was an NBA player. Uh, the only thing that guy had as a relative skill was punching and elbows. Like that was how he made an entire career in the league yeah. was by just roughing up other people. Yeah. So when you've got that was the league that Jordan played in. Now it's much more of a, hey, let's come together. Let's get three superstars on a team. And I get that it's exciting in the short run, but in the long run, I do think it makes a worse product because you have people like me that I just don't care. Like, I know what's going to happen already. There's no sense in Luka's going to save the NBA. Yeah, we'll Luka see. Luka my boy. That's your boy? That's my boy. All right. Well, then, I, God bless him. I hope he does. Um, but I also think the NBA and the ratings don't lie, have alienated a lot of their fans, have kind of... It's gotten too political, out. and that's never right. good for... 
you know, for a, sports a large, a large group. You're never trying to, you never get at the biggest audience that you can when you're, when this becomes political. So, and not only this, but you look at it from, it's an inevitability that you get to the point where you are being a hypocrite. It, you have to at some point. And I think that moment came this summer when for all of the social justice messaging and everything people could get behind, the second it flipped over to China, all of a sudden the league was like, well, don't look there. Yeah, right. like, wait, wait, wait. We're talking about all our dirty laundry here, which God knows there is plenty. But you can't acknowledge that concentration camps of the Uyghur Muslims in China is wrong. Right. Like you can't bring yourself to that. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. How it's, serious am I supposed to take you? Right. It's right. It's 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 about the dollars there. So of course, and that's uh, fine. Just you are. Just forgive me if I don't take you seriously anymore. Like you're not some great crusader for human rights. You are ultimately the pocketbook comes first. Everything else comes second. Yeah. You do what's good for the brand, and that's I, fine. And I actually do think there's a lot of really good players in the league right now. Absolutely. So that's that's unfortunate that the the brand can't get out of its own way, if you will. Um, because, like I said, I mentioned Luca, but there's a bunch of young, really, really good players who I don't sure. feel have the same kind of, uh, uh, I don't know, social justice warrior baggage that LeBron has. Right. Um, and if they were more front and center, I think the league would be better off. Um, and like I said LeBron is great. I'm not trying to dismiss LeBron's talent. He's, of course like I said, not. one of the best it's handful amazing. of players of all time, for sure. Um, and congratulations to, like I said, the Lakers again for their 17th, uh, whatever it is, championship. Uh, I'm sure it was, I think it was 10 years since Kobe won the last one there. So uh, a fitting tribute to Kobe to win one, I guess, uh, in the year that he uh then I guess you know passed away. Passed away. Sure, let's yeah. say it that way. Um, yeah. Let's let's move to another uh, uh, sport of note. Here we had week five in the NFL. Yep. Your Bills did it again. No, no, they didn't. Not they didn't yet. Have, right. Where they play tomorrow or tonight? Tomorrow night. Tomorrow night. Yeah. So we had the Chiefs lose. They were number one in the uh, power rankings uh, from the beginning, so they are no longer number one. Um, I have moved the Seahawks, who are still five and zero. Oh, uh, looked really good again uh, in their comeback win yesterday. Russell Wilson is clearly making an MVP case for himself. Uh, I think Metcalf uh, is kind of an emerging superstar, and I think Seattle may be a tad better than the Chiefs. I'm not um, there. We'll see. I, I think Mahomes is still probably the best player in the whole league, so um, I guess I'd rather have him than not have him. You guess? But Wilson is really good, and like I said, it takes more than one guy, and I think that I think the Seahawks have a pretty good team. So I don't know. Like I said, I'm, I haven't checked the schedule far enough to see if they actually play each other, if that will uh, kind of determine anything. But I have Seahawks number one. I have your Bills number two, even though they haven't played yet. So solid. We'll take it. Uh, you made it made it to number two. We didn't even do anything in the power rankings. So. I like it. Uh, I moved the Chiefs to number three. Uh, they lost to the Raiders. Kind of. I'm going to say, I mean, the, the score was closer than the, I feel like when I looked up the score, they were down two scores big and they kind of made it a one score game late and kind of made it look better than it was. But I think the Raiders handled that game pretty good. Yeah. So, uh, and the Packers, they play tonight actually, right? Am I right on that? Yes. The Saints and the Packers squaring off this evening. And the Ravens browned out my power five. Uh, uh, they won again um, in impressive fashion over the uh, hapless bungles. So... <laughs> <laughs> um, so the bottom five yeah. is, is not a lot of change. I mean, listen, I the, the Giants, Giants looked, actually played they looked a okay. great game against the Cowboys. I, I got to tell you, that 
I think that tells me more about the Cowboys than it does the Giants. The and Giants obviously, unfortunately, they're losing Dak for the season, most likely, I think I heard, and uh, ankle surgery. Uh, he had it this had, morning, and it was successful. I, tu- I turned away, so I didn't actually miss the play. I'm not going to go back and watch it, but I heard it wasn't good. Um, I don't know. Like I said, I, it'll be interesting if the uh, the, the – the what's his uh, nickname there? The, the Red Rocket, the Red Rifle, Red Rifle, the uh, Andy Dalton led Dallas Cowboys. Can uh, you know maybe he can get comeback player of the year or something? Then they can lose in the first round of the first playoffs off, again. The 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 number one candidate for comeback player of the year is Alex Smith. There's no question. Like that oh. guy basically had his leg t- taken off of his body and now he is back playing in the NFL, which is just remarkable. And my hat is off to the guy. I think I would be way too scared to ever play football again if I saw my leg the shape oh. his was in. Yes. But that's just me. Uh, yes, I think Andy Dalton will continue his career record of I'm, making the playoffs by playing in a bad division, getting out of the playoffs in the first round when they play a team with actual talent and loose. Yeah, and he's, like I said, he's not going to present the uh, you know the rushing threat that, that Dak presents, especially near the goal line. So Andy right. Dalton is definitely a pocket passer. He moves around in the pocket a little bit. So it's not going to be the same Dallas Cowboys, but he's loaded with weapons. I mean, the the – all the skill position players are, are are top tier players, and you know I can't. I think Dalton's capable. I just think he never plays well in a big moment. So um, they have an entire team that doesn't believe in defense. Is apparently the yeah, big like, right. And that's that's probably the, the biggest the right. Their biggest you know for, for where, where the Cowboys were, and you know their defense. You know even like a year and a half ago was considered some at the top, and some of that is injury is reason. Sure. So. Um, but it is what it is, and right games. now they're they're giving up points. So um, I don't know they'll, up... they'll they'll be interesting to see. I mean that that whole division is just a dumpster fire. So the uh, you know the Eagles lost to my Steelers this week. So they're one their short lived uh, uh, reign atop the NFC East is was one week and one and done. Right. Uh, uh, so the Cowboys they again they they you know. I can make a legitimate claim that the entire bottom five teams in this league contain the NFC East and the Bengals. Oh, that's that's a thing for the Jets fans must be. Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot about the Jets. <laughs> I can't do that. Never mind. The Jets are horrific. Yeah. Um, and they but are. your point is is taken. Right. Like the NFC East is trash. Um, yes. I, you know, I, they have a lot of good players there, so I'm guessing they'll get better. Um, there's no complete teams. There's teams that have spots of talent, but no complete team. I actually think Alex Smith will do pretty well with the Redskins because he's a game manager, and that's what he's made his career out of. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. He's not a gunslinger. He's not the savior. He's not the franchise guy, but he can win football games, and he won't make big mistakes. Their defense actually is pretty solid, and I think Alex Smith is an upgrade to their likelihood of winning. Not that he's better than Dwayne Haskins. Not that he's better than what's the other guy's name. I don't know, but the ceiling, I, I understand what you're saying. The ceiling for a guy like Haskins versus Smith is different, but the floor is different as well. Correct. Right? So, like, I, I, to your point, I think they do win more games with Alex Smith, at quarterback. Hmm. Um, they pro- probably provide a more consistent offense. Kyle Allen, that's his name. Yes. Sorry, I got excited. The um, <laughs> So, so um, I, similar to Dalton, I guess, you know, they're, they're, they're changing str- strategic play like they're they're actually gameplay is going to have to change with because the talent has changed at, at behind the center so um agreed obviously you know I, I don't expect much out of the the Redskins I think a lot of people had expectations out of the Cowboys so the focus will be on Andy Dalton and see if he can actually get that team to win some games um if they do win these games and they end up winning the division and God somehow win a playoff game Dak Prescott is not getting a huge contract in the offseason no he'll get the money 
He'll get some money. He ain't getting the money he wanted, yeah, though. We'll see what we'll see how the injury goes. Yeah, we'll see. I just think at some point you have to acknowledge the team you're on is so good that yeah, you're throwing for 500 yards a game and losing. Like that's not on you, but some of it is game script and absolutely. You got to be able to close them out. And how big of a difference maker is he now? If, if Andy Dalton comes in and they start losing every game, then Dak Prescott has some leverage to go back in and say, yeah, I may not be Patrick Mahomes, but. I'm what you got. I know the system. You're going to yeah. pay me. No, and he's. I think he's proven himself to be a, a you know a top tier quarterback. So I don't. I, I think he'll get paid. Um, like I said, just hopefully he gets healthy and we'll go from there. So let's switch uh, away from sports a little bit, unless you have something else you'd like to wrap up. I, I know the folks have been dying for some baseball coverage, and maybe we'll get into that a little bit next week. Now the basketball is over. So to the Yankees season. Yankees season is over. Um, so. Um, That's all we need to say. But, I don't want to talk about the pitching changes. I don't no. want to talk about the strategy. It no, was no, 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 awful. My we'll, head is off. Well, we'll we'll discuss the baseball playoffs uh, and maybe the World Series as as that kind of progresses here. Uh, now that NBA is over, we'll keep a focus on the NFL and uh, I guess the Masters coming up November fifteenth ish. So uh, November tw- 11, 12, no 12, 13, 14, 15. Yeah. So um, maybe we covered this or we did cover this last week. Uh, if you guys remember, I don't know if you guys heard, but the president got COVID. I saw that, and now he's recovered. Weird. And claiming immunity, says he can't get the virus, or his doctors have told him he can't get the, the virus anymore. So, what do you think about that? Are we uh, should he go out like start just rallying maskless? Yes. Do you think he will? No. They make Amy Coney Barrett wear a mask at her Senate or Judiciary Committee hearings today. Like this is insanity. I feel oh. like she had it already too. She, she did. She was oh. well. It's documented. She had a positive test. She had antibodies. She has tested positive. And I understand people like we don't know. That's political right. science. Let's talk for just a quick minute on what we do and don't know. If you want to really follow the science, there is every indication, overwhelming bodies of evidence to say that once you have it, you don't get it again. It's it's not like it's a 50-50 proposition. Is there a chance? Sure. Perhaps, like other colds, it could morph into something else and you could get it. However, based on all the available indication, and we're not one month into this now, we're eight months, nine months into this panic, a pandemic, this virus it, if that was really happening, you'd see some cases of it. And I love the people that, that show the articles that are like, this person got it twice. And then you read the article and you're like, oh, they had a negative test when they first got it but had symptoms. They left and then they got it. That's not testing twice. That That's not two separate cases. I'm sorry. It's just yeah, no, it's not. There's there's so many inconsistencies about all of the data that, you know, we're, we'll go into some of that here, too. Um the, uh, the what are pres- your thoughts on the press? Should he just go maskless yeah. and say I'm good? You should. I agree with that entirely because every ba- every piece of information that and data that we have says he can't spread it now and he can't get it now. Yeah, I mean, like I said, the people around him who have never been exposed or or are still threatened, like should take precautions, whatever. Not because of the president, but they should just do that in general. Um, yeah, if I was him, I would I would just be doing my thing. So, right. um, in large part, not me, in large part, but I. His doctors, or his, uh, I think it was it, uh, one of his top aides anyway, met with the uh, the three epidemiologists who uh, created the Great Barrington Declaration. So I don't know if you guys are familiar with this. The Great Barrington Declaration is a um, a statement uh, that was looking for support and uh, signees from the medical field, uh, professionals, uh, general public. Uh, scientists, and uh, I'm going to read some of their um, some of their uh, declaration here too. <clears throat> um, 
I'm excited. <laughs> you, you, let me get my reading voice on. Oh, I, so I'm going to read the first and last paragraph, just so you guys get an idea of setting this up, and then I'm going to kind of give it, because their last paragraph is great to me. So the Great Barrington Declaration, and this is you know, written um, th- three epidemiologists, one from Stanford, one from Oxford, and one from Harvard, uh, put out this declaration. As infectious disease epidemiologists and public health scientists, we have grave concerns about the damaging physical and mental health impacts of the prevailing COVID-19 policies and recommend an approach we call focus protection. And focus protection is what they're calling for. And they kind of outline this. If you, if you go to the, uh, gbdeclaration.org uh, or just Google Great Barrington Declaration. Google fixed their searches, so now you can find it there. So, they memory hold it over the yeah, weekend, though. That they, was they, interesting. They definitely had some crazy stuff going on over the weekend with that. I'm not really going to get into that now, but it was crazy. I'm sure it was just an oversight. Uh, but you can find it. Now you can find it, for sure. Um, you can see these doctors here. Dr. Martin Kaldorf, I'm going to butcher these names. Dr. Sinatra Gupta uh, and Dr. J. Batatra, Batakara. Sorry, you got guys. the first two right. I'm not sure about that third Sorry. One. Yeah, no, I, I'm sure I got it wrong. And then there's a bunch of additional co-signers down here, and you can kind of skim through some of the uh, uh, the names on this list. But there's, you know, thousands of names on the list, um, thousands of, uh, hundreds of thousands of, of general concerned citizens, and I think there's something like 7,000 uh, health, health scientists and like 14,000 medical professionals. Um, and let me read this last sentence because I feel like this kind of sums up um, – the overall uh, sentiments of the declaration. So uh, bear with me if you can. Mm -hmm. Those who are not vulnerable should immediately be allowed to resume life as normal. Simple hygiene measures such as hand washing and staying home when sick should be practiced by by everyone to reduce the herd immunity threshold. Schools and universities should be open for in-person teaching. Extracurricular activities such as sports should be resumed. Young, low-risk adults should work normally rather than from home. Restaurants and other businesses should open. Arts, music, sports, and other cultural activities should resume. People are at more risk, may participate if they wish, while society as a whole enjoys the protection conferred upon the vulnerable by those who have built up herd immunity. So these prominent epidemiologists have put out this declaration basically calling for a, a refocus of the way we're doing our policies and to allow the younger, less vulnerable people to resume their lives as normal while protecting uh, and focusing our protection on the elderly and the vulnerable in an effort to build up herd immunity, which is kind of what we've been saying here for, I don't know, six, seven months now. Um, And I am encouraged by this and the fact that it's gained a lot of traction, even through some of the stumbling blocks or obstacles that it was faced early on. Um, I'm glad to see that this is out there now and that there's actually, you know, a, a, a way forward. I feel like through, through science, if you will. Sure. Um, did you get to read through any of that stuff? Yeah, and right. uh, did you have any takeaways uh, from the stuff that I read there or uh, just in general from the declaration? So I think that the, the biggest opposition to this idea comes from people that are either ignorant of what is actually happening. And I don't mean that in a dismissive or mean way. I mean, literally, if you have not done any research on this whatsoever to find out what the herd immunity thresholds are, what happened in Sweden versus other countries, what the uh, the problems with the PCR tests we're going to talk about later. If you don't know any of those things, then it's just a level of ignorance. You just don't know because you haven't looked into it. You hear the talking points from Dr. Fauci and other people and you repeat them and talk them as if they are gospel. So the problem being that when you talk about things like, well, it's settled science and this is what we know, 
you close off your mind for the prospect of science change. At one point, the science, excuse me, the settled science was that hand-washing by doctors would have no impact on mortality rate. That doctors that were messing around with cadavers and experimenting at night and then would go deliver babies, and somebody said, hey, this is causing the infant mortality rate that we're seeing is it's a lack of hand-washing by the guys who are handling cadavers and then going to go deliver babies. And the entire medical and scientific community laughed and ostracized him and said that this is kook science and i don't know how many people died as a result but it was because we're not open to the prospect that our original insight was wrong and doctors scientists um especially when you get into the people that are the heads of bureaucratic organizations or or health facilities they're no better than the rest of us as far as you don't like to be wrong none of us do and they have a probably a larger ego than either you or i do or the average person on the street because that's how they got to the level they got to. So for them to come out and say, hey, we were really wrong and people died as a result of the advice that we gave, it's a tall order. So when you look at this, it's never a question of, hey, if we shut down, we're safe. And if we don't shut down, we're in a lot of trouble. That's insanity. We are absolutely causing harm by lockdowns. And all of the available data suggests that the lockdowns are not helping. What we are doing is having no discernible impact on the spread of the virus. And if that doesn't make sense to you, I understand. But I've also seen multiple studies that have reached the same conclusion. Even the World Health Organization is coming out now and saying, for the love of God, stop locking down. This is not helping and we're causing more damage. The poor people are getting poorer, they're getting sicker, and they're having worse results. We are causing such a disparate, a disparate impact across different nations and communities, that it's, it's actually harming people. But for some reason, to acknowledge that is to say, well, we shouldn't restart sports. What if one kid died? Wouldn't that be too many? Uh, yeah. Like it's, I said, it's, it's not fair. Yeah, we, it's, you know, I, I've used Bizarro World a little bit of time, and it's, it's, it's everybody lives in their own, their own world, right? So, like, as you're, the information that you get, is the only information that you have and you don't know what you don't know. Right. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm encouraged by the fact that these are, again, prominent epidemiologists who are from some of the best schools in the world. I mean, you know, how can you argue with Harvard, Oxford, and Stanford? I mean, easily. I do it all the time. <laughs> but these guys, you know, should be giving a platform and their message is what I just told you, you know, like l- protect the, the, the vulnerable, which is what we've been saying for seven months, which we all knew from the beginning. Right. Um, and it's not like we were making this up. This was being told back then um, by some of these very same doctors that that, that are now come together. And these are, um, you know, I've see, seen a couple of interviews with these guys and they've done a couple of them. I would encourage you to go go find those. Um, and they're across political spectrum. So they're, they're, they're not in agreement. They kind of point out that like, hey, you know, we didn't come together this as political reasons. We came to this for science reasons because they had concerns about the, the policies that were in place. Yep. Um, so again, I, I, and again, I, I feel like the day after the declaration, it was one of the white house aides met with those doctors. So that information is being, it's, it's getting out to the highest channels, I guess. And again, that's encouraging. Um, I'm going to continue to, I don't know if you signed it, I signed it, but, um, so, you know, I, I feel like hopefully there's, uh, uh, a greater awareness for the, 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 out the, the measures that the policies are just strategies. That yeah. They're work. just the ones that we're doing are, are not working and are actually probably more harmful than, than good. So yeah, I remember driving around, it was in Buffalo on this day and uh, Max Kellerman was on ESPN radio and he started talking about how 
this was dangerous and this and I'm listening like geez you guys are insufferable when you talk about sports you covering this is just <laughs> it's a level of ignorance that this is why people tell you to shut up and stick to sports because he started talking about how awful Sweden was doing with this second wave and how these people were dying all over the place and America really was getting it better and I'm look I'm listening to this like this isn't even factual that like it's not like you're misinterpreting the data you are citing data that does not exist you are talking about things that are the opposite of what we have actually seen. And for all of the negative press and everything else that, that this idea gets of, well, herd immunity would mean that 2 million people are going to die. Nope. Not what it means at all. Not even close. It's, it's such a flawed conclusion that it's yeah. based on nonsense. Yeah. And for all of these, we have data now. The fact that we still look at projections and models like the IHME that have been so wrong and people go, well, see, if we just did this, then 2 million people would be saved. Nope. Yeah. Well, in their model, Sweden would have had 200,000 deaths and right. they have five or something. So Yeah. And they, they have a lower deaths per million of population than we do. Theirs is, has been flat for quite some time, whereas ours continues to increase. And it's not necessarily- Have you ever looked into Uruguay's uh, lockdown? Yes. And do you have any information? I've, I've been asked to, to look into that, and I haven't. And I just wondered if you have. And Uruguay has some unique characteristics. They don't have the it. they don't have the deaths the old, the elderly deaths that nope. most of the other countries have, right? So did they actually? Do we know if they actually protected their elderly, or did they just? They did. Okay. So I, I can we can go into. I should do more research before I speak so definitively. They were very proactive. No, 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 no. It's okay. I, I looked this up like a month ago, so okay. I'm going to be a little rusty on some of it, but. They were very early on with contact tracing, with, with testing, and with figuring out where it was. Uh, if I understand correctly, and don't quote me on this, their PCR tests were also set to 32 cycles or 30 cycles, which you'll understand what that means in a few minutes. And so it was way more accurate test than what the rest of the world was using. Gotcha. So they used that as a means of protecting the people most vulnerable. And they avoided really the large-scale shutdowns that the rest of us had to go through. I shouldn't say had to, that the rest of us were forced into. Um, and they ended up with better results, even though every every area around them was brutal. I, I mean, Brazil's right there. That was, that was crushed. Uh, they were not in, like, a good area where it all made sense. All right. Well, that's interesting. Speaking of... Uh... Since you touched on the the cycle threshold and the PCR test, oh boy! Um, for those of you who were specifically tuning in for Doctor Doe, he will not be joining us today. He's going to join us in the future. Uh, our schedules cannot work out this uh, this weekend, so um, hopefully that'll happen maybe as early as next next show. But I'd like to do a uh, at least a a primer or a uh, kind of a build up to or what we at least know about mm -hmm. PCR testing, right? Um, so I'm going to pull up this article. This is from August 29th, uh, New York Times article um, talking about your, your coronavirus test is positive, and maybe it shouldn't be, is the, is the headline. So um, what I want to read about this, this kind of gives a, a good take on what the PCR test is, what it does, and then we can talk into why we think that there's some problems with this testing. So... Um, it's not that we think there are problems with this testing. Well, we'll, we'll let the people decide if, All right. if, if we know or not. So um, let, me, let me read this a little bit. So this, um, I feel like this is a good general breakdown of, what we're gonna, of this testing, this diagnostic test that we're going to talk about. So the, this is the PCR test. So let me read from this article here. The PCR test amplifies genetic matter from the virus in cycles. The fewer cycles required, the greater the amount of the virus or viral load in the sample. 
the greater the viral load, the more likely the patient is to be contagious. Basic enough, right? We all get that. So the more of the virus we find, the, the more likely they are to be contagious. Um, and here's where it gets a little technical, but not, not really. Um, this number of ampli- amplification cycles needs to find the virus called the cycle threshold. It's never included in the results sent to the doctors or the coronavirus patients, although it could tell them how infectious the patients are. So there's this determining factor of how infectious a patient could be determined by how many cycles it took to find the virus, right? So the, the less cycles, the more likely the virus is, the more of the virus you're going to find and more likely you're going to find uh, more contagious people. The higher the cycle threshold, the less likely you're going to find contagious people. So Ben, cycle thresholds. This is insanity to say the least. So as we're, when we're testing, when we're testing for viruses, what's a so general range of? I'm going to back up a, okay, a go step ahead. further because it's going to give more, um, more a better Have understanding to what we're talking about here. So COVID-19, uh, also known as SARS-CoV-2, is a type of is a strain of coronavirus, and coronaviruses have been around for decades. The common cold is a form of a coronavirus. Uh, it's We've we've dealt with them before. SARS was one sudden acute respiratory syndrome. If you remember, uh, it was back in 04 when SARS hit and everybody was really panicked and this was going to be so bad and it ended up not being quite as awful. So some people don't really recall that anymore. Um, so SARS-CoV-2 specifically is is a variation of a virus that has been around. And even COVID stands for coronavirus disease 19 because that's the year it came out. So it's, it's COVID-19. That's where the name comes from. So the problem is at some point, if you have been alive for any amount of time, you have been exposed to coronaviruses. You may have been exposed to COVID-19. You may have been exposed to SARS or some variation of the common cold that is a coronavirus. And that virus is going to share some genetic material with the current version of SARS-CoV-2. Now, what happens is your body responds and fights and it produces the antibodies and that then the antibodies even contain some of the viral load. So in long story short, if you have a test that continually needs to cycle through to zoom in, think about zooming in on an iPad or a tablet. Every time you zoom in, it means something is smaller and it means something is smaller and it means something is smaller. So we have some data on this now, and the results are just confusing. Is, is that the right Confounding. word? Confounding. Maddening. Um, it's criminal. It's bordering. I, and I mean, we'll, we can talk about that later. But so it basically is if you zoom in far enough, you're going to find most people have some level of COVID in their system or the antibodies from fighting off a common cold years ago. It's going to be there if you zoom in. It's like zooming in for asbestos in a lab. You're going to find some if you just look closely enough. The question is, is it a dangerous level? And in this case, if you have the antibodies or your body has produced some antibodies to the COVID-19 virus, they'll find that and it'll be in there and they can find it if they zoom in low enough. And you're, you're looking at things through this prism of continuing to go in. So everybody's got it. The question is, are you contagious? Can you spread it to others? And are you going to get symptoms? And you have to have a certain level of the virus in there for that to be true. So now what we're finding, and now listen, this is what the evidence currently indicates. Am I telling you all of this is conclusively proven with no room for change? No, but the evidence is not exactly ambiguous. It's pretty overwhelming in support of the ranges I'm going to give you. 
So when you run a PCR test, if you run it 24 to 26 cycles, so you zoom in, let's call it 24 to 26 times, you are probably infectious. You are probably contagious. Um, isolation is probably a good call. That's That makes sense. You should probably avoid, especially people that are at higher risk, 24 to 26 cycles. 32 cycles is what the PCR tests were originally recommended to be run at for COVID-19, and that was really an abundance of caution. They know full well at 32. You're probably not contagious. It would have to be a real one-off scenario for that to come up as a contagious, for that to find a contagious level of the virus. If they didn't find it at 26 cycles, but they found it at 32, it's not contagious. It's, it's there, but you have something in there that is a remnant of a previous virus. Then 35 cycles, they've done some tests, and they're showing that at, at 35 cycles, positive tests, roughly 97% of those the positive tests, are con- it's a level of virus that's not contagious. So it's, in essence, a false positive from a planning standpoint of you, you are not contagious. For all intents and purposes, you do not have COVID-19. You have some remnants possibly of having COVID-19 earlier, possibly of having some other coronaviruses in the past, possibly from your body's immune response to the virus that is now getting picked up. Okay, so let me recap real quick. Yeah. 20, 20 to 25 cycles contagious? 20 to 26, you 20, are okay. 99.9% <clears throat> contagious. We, 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 we recommend the 32 just to be safe. Mm-hmm. Um, at 35 cycle thresholds, 97% of people are, are false positive. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, so what are we testing at? We test at 40 cycles. So this is not a mistake a reasonably intelligent expert could make. This is not an honest mistake of, of, me- of missing up like 30 milliliters to 35 milliliters. This is talking about exponentially different results. You're talking about hundreds of millions times difference between where we are being an abundance of caution and where we are right now. Seriously start looking around at at what's happening with how many cases we have now, and the cases are going through the roof. Deaths are not. There's no longer the correlation between cases go up, then hospitalizations go up, and then deaths go up. It's not happening. You have more hospitalizations with COVID, but keep in mind why. Because if you're in the hospital, you get a COVID test, and if you're picking up, you're still getting 97% false positive ratings, and that's lowballing it. It's probably 99%. So you're getting all these people to test positive, and then we're making all of these uh, public policy decisions based on this number. And even if the number is not exactly correct, it's completely unreliable. It is scientifically unjustifiable to rely on this data. It means nothing. And this is the part where we're talking about being confounding and maddening. Listen, I'm, I'm not a doctor. I am not a scientist. I'm a reasonably intelligent guy who just happens to be curious, and I started reading this and researching this and looking into this. There's no way that Dr. Fauci, Dr. Burks, no, no epidemiologist anywhere in the world could look at this and say, yeah, no, that's, that's still good. Like, why are we not including the cycle threshold count along with the test results? Right. That would seem like that would be the, the most important part. minimum. Right. That would be the, like the most important part of the test. Okay, are you contagious? And if we have a, a way of measuring that, why is that number not being reported? My guess is not being reported because most people aren't contagious and it doesn't generate headline. The fear. Yeah. And then there's no need for a vaccine because now if, you, if what you actually have is what we're looking at, this is where I have a hard time. If they time. get a vaccine for this, couldn't they have just cured the common cold? I mean, at some point, yeah. But there's, listen, when I tell you there's hundreds of millions of dollars at stake for, for vaccines and billions of dollars, 
people have an incentive to not want this to be easily solved and easily fixed. So your actual infectious uh, fatality rate is far lower than anybody wants to acknowledge or anybody in these positions wants to acknowledge. And some of them are, yeah, you're operating out of the abundance of caution, but an abundance of caution was 32 cycles, not 40. 40 is inexcusable. 40 is you are literally going to find anything, and it has no bearing on the science whatsoever. Yeah, they're guaranteeing the result they wanted. There's no... There's no justification they for They have this. to know. There is no justification where you could say, hey, if you're going to do it at 40, and then you know you found it somewhere before 40, why aren't we telling the doctors and the patients what level they found it at? Yeah, why easy. wouldn't we just cut it off at 35, where we already know 97% of the cases that test positive are non-contagious? Wouldn't that have met the abundance of caution threshold? Wouldn't 32 cycles have met the abundance of caution threshold? threshold this is not what a pcr test is supposed to be used for now can it work yes but this is very very important data right, that it we works have... when you have the complete data set right? right and we're giving partial information in order to paint a picture that is not accurate with what the science and medicine would indicate what what should be indicated in this and if if people are aware of this they need to be speaking up because this is insanity there is no way to justify this there is no way for this to make any semblance of reasonable, reasonable or logical decisions, please spare me that, well, it's better to be safe than sorry. Sure, except when what you're doing with that is you're using these ridiculous number of positive cases like to justify lockdowns, school closures, college closings, and all these other failed, awful public policy decisions that have no impact, and you're basing it off of data that is at best ambiguous and completely unjustified and at worst intentionally misleading right like i said if they if they if they were insistent on being more safe than sorry and testing to 40 publish the cycle threshold that that was discovered at right because if it's going to be in the in the 20s then we we can have concern but if the prim, if the majority of them are 35 or 32 and over then what are we doing we're doing something for nothing like it is legitimately doing more harm um no those, question it, it's 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 mind-boggling at, at the least and then you got you know you got our governor threatening to to enforce a mask police on 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 towns and across the across the state. If uh, our local our, our local uh, law enforcement won't do it, then he's going to send in uh, some mask patrol and kind of enforce that across the state. So, and he's using these tests. I'm assuming. Uh, many, 1%. many of them are these PCR tests that are getting these hypersensitive results, and they're using these as the reasons to justify these lockdowns and these right. restrictions and these movement of people's living their lives. And, you know, there's clearly some religious uh, pushback going on down, down state right now. I expect that to continue until mm -hmm. the end of this. I don't see that going away anytime soon. I expect more and more of this type of behavior because more and more people are getting sick and tired and more and more people are seeing through the nonsense, the reporting, the, the politicians, the, 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 the non-transparent reporting of what is actually going on to what the facts on the ground actually are. And I think more people are getting fed up every single day. Yeah, and, and it just, the more that you do it, you realize that there's got to be a reason that we're doing this, and the reason is not science. It's just not. It's got to be either political power, monetary, or for the election, because the science does not support any of the things that we're doing. And it, all you have to do is look into it a little bit, and you start to realize that this doesn't make sense. And I mean, listen, masks are a great example of do masks actually help prevent the spread of COVID-19? Yes. In the context of if you have COVID-19 at a contagious level and you wear a mask, it will block the droplets upon which COVID-19 can rest from going out into the air. Now, 
let's talk about all the ways that masks don't work. Number one, COVID-19 can also spread through aerosols, which are so small it's going to pass through any mask. Anyway, we don't have anything that's going to stop it. Second part is COVID-19 does not spread as you and I walk by each other without masks and say hello. 99.999% of the time, it spreads through prolonged, intimate contact between two people. How are you doing? (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So the mask, when I'm out at Lowe's, is not going to make any difference in that regard. Now, again, and then you get into if I'm perfectly healthy, the mask is doing no good whatsoever. Even if I am sick, it's not going to block everything. But as long as I'm still reasonably intelligent about staying away from people, washing my hands, proper hygiene, and you do the same, you're going to meet largely the same results. So, yes, masks do work. There's a reason, though, that mask mandates have no effect. And it's because we're fighting the 0.1% battle instead of focusing on the 99% of cases, which is not because you're at a grocery store next to somebody. Yes, there are some super spreader events at churches and stuff like this that do happen indoors with people singing and yelling, and they're not even as, uh, there's not a correlation there as you would want to see, but they do happen. So the trade-off, though, is especially when it comes to kids, Masks are disgusting. Like, you're going to get germs on them. You're forcing all of this stuff on your face. You're going to touch your face more often, which is going to spread not only COVID-19, but other viruses and other germs even more. So, do masks make sense? Sure, in limited capacity, and I think there are some times that they should be worn. Six feet apart or, or walking down a street outside, there's no science to support this. There's none. And now, having my kids have to wear a mask all day, every day at school. They get, like, mask breaks for five minutes throughout the day. And listen, I don't care. My kids will do it. That's fine. What I care about is, number one, I don't want to say definite. There is overwhelming evidence at this point that children do not spread this disease. In schools that have reopened versus schools that have remained fully remote, the staff infection rate is exactly the same, which would indicate, along with a thousand other pieces of data and a 12 other studies that children do not spread this disease. It's adults that spread this disease. They can get it. They typically don't get symptoms and they definitely don't spread it. I shouldn't say definite. Overwhelming evidence indicates. So now my kid is wearing a mask to, to not spread a disease that's no threat to him whatsoever and that is no threat of spreading to the teachers that it could actually be a threat to. So instead, what my kids are now going to do, and I love my children, and I've made this point before, they're gross. That mask ends up on the ground. That mask ends up over a chair, on a doorknob. They touch everything. They rub their eyes. They then rub their mask, and it's more germs all over the place. We're putting them at greater risk for the flu, which does kill perfectly healthy children every year. This doesn't make sense. This is virtue signaling at the expense of putting people in greater risk. It does not make any scientific sense to have children in schools already spaced six feet apart have a mask on. This is the opposite of science. This is the opposite of letting the data indicate the policy. What we have is the policy indicating the data. We are cherry-picking data to support whatever point we want instead of looking at the data and going, hey, you know what we should do based on this is change. We're not changing any policies from we started this in March. This is insane. Do you think we got everything right in March when we knew nothing about this? Why are we so afraid to change anything? Why are we still insisting on lockdown Tuesdays in New York City? It's crazy. It doesn't help. And all you're doing is infringing on people's rights, shutting down their businesses, causing increased economic harm, putting more people in poverty, increasing suicides, increasing overdoses. You're causing actual harm to these people for nothing. There's no benefit to any of this. Or it's so minuscule that it is never going to be outweighed. You're shutting down colleges. Are you kidding? This is crazy. 
Like more kids die from alcohol poisoning every year than are going to even get sick from COVID-19 or show symptoms. All these outbreaks in cases. How many hospitalizations nationwide? You want to know? It's about nine, give or take. Like this is insanity. If we're going to follow Seven the science. Seven from Dayton. I don't know what they're doing in Dayton, but my God, must have been a heck of a party. Um, and no deaths. So we're doing all of this stuff. And guys, I'm telling you. Ask questions because none of this makes sense. You should all be outraged. We should all be protesting every like the fact that Governor Cuomo says, well, police should be going around issuing masks. So you're going to throw me in jail if I don't wear a mask walking down the street. And oh, I know it's just a fine. What if I don't pay the fine? Yeah, I had this exact conversation earlier today. I said, what if I don't pay the fine? Uh, They have a rule for that. I'm like, yeah, it's called jail. It's all enforced with a gun. Right. So. Listen, if you're if you're looking to enforce mask wearing at the end of a gun, uh, I just going to disagree with you on that and uh, move forward. Um, Not only that, I'm going to ask you to show me the science that says this is helping. Because I look at all of this and I see mask mandate goes into effect, no impact on on spread. Mask mandates go into effect, no impact, and the reason why is because masks will protect you in this, in, and they are better than nothing. But they're better than nothing in the same way that wearing a helmet in your car is safer than not wearing a helmet in your car, like. Sure, but we don't do it, and and there's a reason, um, because ultimately you're safe enough if you just do good hand washing, and if you do have any symptoms, or if you do feel sick at all, or you're in a vulnerable category of people, avoid others. Take, take the extra necessary precautions to keep yourself safe, and that way we don't need to have people shutting down their businesses. We don't need restaurants running at 40% capacity and going to go out of business in six more months. We don't have an entire population of people fully dependent on the federal government bailing them out because the government has mandated such strict rules to shut down. We should all be wanting to know, hey, you're asking kind of a lot of us, and you're going to have very negative consequences from socioeconomic status, public health status, and ultimately, listen, whether you want to acknowledge it or not, the national debt can't just keep going up forever with no recourse. There's going to be negative consequences. So we have all these negative things. Don't you want to know that it's at least working? Wouldn't you want some proof or some evidence that all of these things that result in all of these negative consequences is having some public benefit? Why? Why would you not want to know that? Show me that it's actually helping. And the reason they don't is because it's not. Right. It just feels good. It's virtue signaling. And, and so I feel for some of the, some, a small sum of elected leaders, officials, uh, including teachers and, and school boards and, and superintendents and all that stuff because the governor has kind of stripped them of any kind of authority to do anything um, without clearing it through Albany first. So I don't know how much that is, you know, listen, these, some of these places just might be in, in agreement with the governor and they're just, you know, hold, holding, the, holding his line. Yeah. Um, I think there may be some out there who aren't in agreement but also can't push back for fear of losing funding state, which is more of a sad state of affairs of our current system, but it shows that how vulnerable you are if you're relying on the state and especially the state who's relying on the federal government. I mean, it's a house of cards if you're just borrowing money from the, the, the bigger the bureaucracy above you. So um, again, I feel for some of these places, uh, the ones who are kind of doing this uh, begrudgingly, you know, because they have to, and there is no other option for them. And if they, you know, try to present another option, the, you know, the governor comes in and takes her liquor license away or uh, shuts them down or does some other vindictive action, uh, which seems to be his uh, main, uh, you know, whenever, when, when your only, when your only tool is a hammer, everything's a nail and he just loves to bang away. So 
Um, I feel bad again for some of these people, but I, you know, I think there's a, a, a time that comes where you're just like, okay, you know what? The right thing is this. And you know, the governor be damned and I'm going to stand up and make a stand You know, I'm going to do what I need to do to, to stay in, in compliance with the, the, the state orders, but I'm going to stand up for the people that elected me or stand up for my business or stand up for my students or whatever it is mm-hmm. and do the right thing and be vocally outspoken against these actions. And I'm hoping that that going back to the great Barrington declaration, hopefully that gives some, you know, some cover to some of these people who have been kind of lying low and not knowing what to do or how to do it and not what to say or what, or how to say it. And this gives them some ammunition and some cover to, to kind of push forward and say, Hey, what are we doing here when we have these, you know, world leading epidemiologists telling us that we're doing it wrong and we should focus a different way. And like I said, hopefully some of these elected leaders read this sign on and start changing some of their actions. I don't expect that anywhere I mean, we're going to be the last one to change anything in Albany. I mean, I, we're the last one. So, um, but I would like to see some of our, you know, other elected officials across the state start standing up to the governor in unison and in, in, in mass. If they, if they feel that way, there's, there's enough ammunition out there and there's enough information out there that if they wanted to digest it, they could and make that stand. So hopefully this gives them again, hopefully this gives some cover to some of those people who have been kind of uh, uh, not knowing how, how to get started. Um, but it's, you know, I, I don't see an end to it, especially, you know, we're, we're kind of like stuck in this weird New York where we're like Northeast is this little tiny little COVID land outside of the rest of the country. And everybody's just staring at us and we're just, we can't see outside of our bubble. It's at this point, it's the same cognitive dissonance you're dealing with everywhere else. Because if you start breaking down why New York actually did so poorly, it's, it's really hard to get on any plausible explanation other than the response that we took caused it it's hard i like listen it's the same thing we've looked at this data you and i have discussed this at length before of all right new york's numbers aren't a little bit worse than everywhere else in the world they are the worst in the world new york and new jersey together is the worst um deaths per million of population in the entire world so when when people come out and say well it's a lot of international travel okay but forgive me but wouldn't international travel lead to more cases? And that way, because we had more positive tests and more people had COVID and it was spreading from one person to the next more easily, the deaths per million rate shouldn't have changed much, but you would have had so many more cases that your death would have been higher. Except New York's uh, cases per million of population is middle of the road. It's pretty average. They don't have an exceptional number of cases or cases per population. They just have a high death rate. So then you want to say, oh, it's a... Population density. Nope, that doesn't hold out. If you look across the world, again, New York isn't even in the top 50 of the most densely populated cities in the world. And their numbers are astronomically worse, and there is no correlation amongst the other densely populated or highly traveled cities with a higher death rate. So that doesn't make sense. Um, Well, it was here first. No, it wasn't. It was in Washington State first and on the West Coast. And then it was also, I don't know, in every other country first. I shouldn't say every other, but a lot of other countries. So if it was really that we had it first, shouldn't the countries that had it six, seven, eight weeks before us, shouldn't their death rates be, I mean, at least more than half of what New York's were, if that was the reason? So I guess all of these things play a role, but none of them are going to account for any substantial portion of our results. Instead, the answer is, it's two or threefold, I guess. Number one is obviously the nursing home executive order caused lives, because if you have people that you know have a higher death rate, which is older people and people that have health issues, nursing homes, 
living in close contact with each other, you know they're going to have a higher death rate, and you send COVID-positive patients into the nursing home when they don't have the proper protections and PPE, what's going to happen? Yeah, they're going to get it. Listen, You're going to so, have a higher death rate. So uh, real quickly on top, uh, just piggybacking on that, and I'll let you go back, but I, I was skimming through the county uh, data today, and <clears throat> I was looking at likely exposure source of COVID, and I happened to notice that the the weeks from March 29th through May Stop. 23rd were the significantly, probably uh, uh, really the only significant time where the exposures were uh, from nursing facilities. So senior facilities is what the uh, county kind of has them listed there. So oh, um, you can see in the blue there, those are all the exposures from just senior facilities. And you can see that there's a, I don't know, 10-week spike right in the middle of that executive order. How shocking. Oh, my God. How shocking. That's crazy. Yeah. So, all right, listen, even if you want to say that doesn't ultimately prove it, fine. It's, again, what does the evidence indicate? And the evidence would indicate, obviously, that played a role. The other thing that played a role is we went heavy on ventilator treatment, and it turns out that was absolutely not the right call. The ventil- people that went on ventilators, for the most part, didn't come off. Yeah, it was 85%, I feel like I heard right. early on. So. so when you're talking about, well, this person died of COVID because of they went on a ventilator and then got a brain hemorrhage or whatever else, okay, I, I get it, but if you're going to be technical about cause of death, it wasn't the COVID, it was our response to the COVID. And, and the medical treatment, we got wrong early on. Now, again, that will not account for the overall death rate being what it was. It, it can't. It'll be a contributing factor. And I do think ultimately when you start paying hospitals more money for ventilator use for COVID tests and for ultimately death with COVID, you give them a higher payout, you're going to get more. And it's it's a basic rule of economics is if you want more of something, subsidize it. If you want less of something, tax it. So once that started happening, and it's just a, it's not a conscious decision by the providers or the hospitals to to say, well, we need more money, so let's do this. But it is sort of a justification of even if you're not sure of like, well, obviously this is what it's going to be. They want us putting more people on ventilators because that's going to be the treatment and it, and it goes down. It still doesn't explain how bad New York's numbers were. You're not talking about 10% worse. You're not talking about 30% worse. You're not even talking about 100% worse. You're talking about 500 to 1,000% worse than anywhere else. Like, it, it boggles the mind to think that that somehow we bear no responsibility or our, our elected leaders bear no responsibility for that. At some point, you have to acknowledge you got something wrong. And if we didn't get it wrong, why don't we have the numbers from the nursing homes yet? Yeah, right. It no. is October. And this started... And they know this- them every day. So it's not like they, they... There's no there's no diligent search. They can pull up the number every single day. And Correct. they have access to the, the to their data every single day of those who die off-site. They we have are, it every single day. We are over five months removed since that executive order was rescinded. So you're five months later. You're telling me you never looked back at that six-week period and based on that chart Sean just showed, you're not a little curious why the long-term care facilities uh, had that spike right there? You're not you're not the least bit curious. Their their abacus is rusty. Oh my god! They haven't been able to calculate those death toll numbers. This is like you get into this part of it with people, and nobody wants to acknowledge it. And I understand. It's just at some point you have to face the fact of if it was these other factors, the results would have been different. We would have had way more cases, way higher cases per million of population, 
way higher on everything, but we don't. We are very average in all of those regards. It's the deaths per million of population that we are so bad in. It's that is the number that we got so wrong is deaths per million of population. And that is ultimately when we're talking about this, that is the only number that matters. Because if you get COVID, if I get COVID, and as long as we don't spread it to any older person that's at risk, if every single person got COVID and nobody died, would anybody care? Nope. Not even a chance. It is the deaths that matter. It's not the illnesses. It's not the sicknesses. It's not the surgeries. It is the deaths that dictate public policy. So if we are the driving force behind that, think about what that actually means. It means we caused, in large portion, a significant part of this pandemic. And Early that's on, hard to wrap for sure, around. right? No, and, and I said it. They legitimately spiked the fear. I mean, the, the the numbers because they didn't they didn't discern the fact that there was actually a problem in nursing homes and not, you know, basically it was perceived as there's a problem everywhere yeah. because they weren't isolating the fact that the data coming out where the people were dying in nursing homes. So the fact that that data was was blurred made it seem like everybody else was getting the vid. And dying. And that's not the case. And it was a very isolated population that was dying. And we all knew what it was. They knew what it was. They just are not telling us the the actual numbers. And I think we all know that by now. Um, They don't want to. And even back then, they kept every time there was some one-off scenario, it made the news. It never made the news when an 88-year-old person with hypertension, cancer, and five other ailments died. What made the front page headline was the one kid, the the 25-year-old who had yeah, the scary story that was the that was the exception so the problem is when you start basing public policy on the exception instead of the rule you get bad public policy you get things there's listen we are going to die as human beings it is an inevitability it is a shortcoming of our design you human beings take that up with your creator i didn't have any say he did not ask for my input on this it's a little above my pay grade the idea though is that we're trying to do our best to protect and promote a life liberty and the pursuit of happiness as we are here so all of this meant to defend and protect life is great except if you're trying to put all of these people in poverty in abject worse situations to prevent anybody from ever dying you can't do it it's why the most evil science you can ever study is economics because ultimately it is a everything is a cost-benefit analysis and you have to at least acknowledge Nothing comes without unintended consequences. Every decision we make has negative consequences at some level. All right. I don't have anything more on that. Um, Hopefully, again, hopefully we'll have Dr. Doe in here to clean up all of our errors and uh, pat us on the back. We were good and and, uh, accurate. And uh, like I said, I don't think that this is a small issue at all. I think this is, uh, you know, that the PCR testing and the coupled with the, 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 the Great Barrington Declaration for, for herd immunity, I think, are the you know two things that need to stay on focus. Um, I think that the, the, that declaration needs to, to stay in people's minds, and I think we need to do more work on this PCR testing to find out if it's a, a worthy measure to, to, to... I don't think it is, but I think there should be more looking into whether or not it's worthy test to, to be making this policy on. So I don't think there's anything more important at a national or state government level than fixing the PCR testing. If yeah. either start releasing the cycle threshold count with the test results so right. that people can make informed exactly decisions right. or stop testing at 40 cycles. And it right. should be both. You right. should be capping this at 32 right. if you and want, then telling the threshold. Right. Count. If you want to justify it at 40, even like I said, just report the thresholds and we're right. good. Right. So like we can, we can discern that information and, and break it down better. So um, with that, uh, next week will be episode 20. Hey, hey. I don't know what that means, but it's a round number. I like it. Um, so until then, 
thank everybody for uh, stopping in, tuning in, downloading, viewing, all that good stuff. Uh, if you like what we do, share us and uh, spread the word. And uh, you can find us on all your uh, podcast platforms. Uh, we do the, the live stream here on Mondays, uh, 12 to 1. So with that, thank you all, and uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks, guys.